Thanks for listening to the Hedgeye Investing Summit, featuring conversations with some of the sharpest minds in investing, including Ben Hunt, Lynn Alden, and David Rosenberg, hosted by Hedgeye CEO Keith McCullough. To get access to the other eight Hedgeye Investing Summit conversations and for more great investing content, go to Hedgeye.com. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back. Thanks for joining us. This is our Second slot and uh, first time on Hedge ITV. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you, Aisha, Aisha Tarek. And I did mispronounce her name coming into the last one, so my first big mistake of the day. Apologies for that, but thanks, uh, thanks no for joining problem. me. I appreciate it. It's such a thrill to be on, Keith. Honestly, I mean, I've you know, I, I was just telling you, I've watched Hedge I for three, four years now. I've followed your work very closely. The team is absolutely brilliant. I think you have the best research uh, out there. Wow, that's um, we did not pay her to say that, by the way. Uh, she, and she's live from <laughs> Dubai. I, I do appreciate that, and I also appreciate um, the authenticity uh, that you bring to. Uh, I call it the game, of course, but I mean, just just you know, you, how many people? Let's just start with this. And I, I just had a real conversation with with Mama Bear herself, uh, Stephanie Pomboy. But um, but your your Twitter handle, the first word says that you're a mother. I mean, I mean, I, I, there's so much out there these days, uh, you know, people that are anonymous, people with snark, people, I, I would never engage with that I, on, on Twitter, of course, <laughs> myself. But, um, but I, I think that that's really cool, like how you came to this, uh, to this business, really, and to, to having this conversation with me. Can you take a, just take us a step back for people that are not familiar with your background, like how you came to be? Sure, um, so I'm a mother. Of course, uh, but and that's my most important job. Let me put it <laughs> frankly. Awesome. But I started out in corporate banking uh, with Standard Chartered, and uh, even though I've left banking now, I still think of myself as a banker. And it was a fantastic role. Um, I think I learned a lot because the best part of corporate banking is that you deal with companies from different industries. But you deal with the insiders, right? So it's not like analysts out there who are dealing with the outsiders and you get fed what you want to hear. We are closer to the CFOs and we they need to tell us their dirty little secrets if they want money from us, right? So, so it, it's an interesting job. And there's a fine line between what they want to tell us and what we want to know, right? So I think um, I bridged that gap pretty well by, you know, trying to form relationships versus actually just getting in there, making the sale and getting out. So I learned a lot from that job, obviously. And then I moved on. In fact, one of my clients coached me and I moved on to becoming um, the head of treasury for a local group here in Dubai. Uh, what we managed was real estate, hospitality, and obviously listed equities. Um, and that was a really interesting role. Um, I get to mix with a lot of, you know, big shots. You you go into offices that you normally wouldn't go into. Bank CEOs come to meet you. So it, it was really like a different profile altogether. I felt very important. Um, but it was also a very stressful job because I did that around 2018, 2019, when the Fed was raising rates the previous time around. And uh, let me tell you, that wasn't fun for us at all. Mm. So I can appreciate, um, you know, managing money a little bit or being part of the CFO treasury team on the inside when the Fed is raising rates. And it taught me a lot again, 
you know. So every experience you have teaches you a lot. So it's not just books, but it's also people you meet, um, things you listen to. I mean, I learned so much from you and the team all the time. So it, it's a it's a little like that. And I think that's been my superpower always to know who to learn from. Yeah. So I try to find the best people in the business, in the game to learn from. And uh, soon after I left that job in 2019, I started up my own shop. Um, it was okay because 2019 wasn't a great year mm. um, and things were like rolling off. It wasn't very great. I was trying to arrange loans and so arrange debt and capital for companies. And it, it wasn't all that great. I had some successes, but, you know, a startup is never easy. I'm sure you know this better than me. Um, and then I got a contract with a bank to set up their syndications desk. And that was a very, very interesting role as well. Because what I did was I bought and sold loans in the secondary market, including some distress desks. So again, I now have an appreciation for how that side of the world works, where, you know, distressed debt is, uh, we have plenty of it right now. So taught me a lot of things. Um, last year, I left all of that and I started working from home and I decided to start up, you know, two companies. One is Trader Aid and the other one is Macrovisor. And I have to tell you, Macrovisor is modeled a little bit like Hedgeye. Um, uh, I think, you know, I, we drew inspiration from everything that you guys do. And uh, I think people need to understand the macro. People need to understand uh, the environment we are in. And it, it's not going to be the same as what we had for the last 15 years. Yeah, the, the, um, that, that's a great uh, life walk, you know, just going through how you get to this point. And I do think, at least for me, the most valuable experience that I have is my experience itself. Making mistakes is actually quite critical to my success because I'm forced to, in this, uh, on this content platform, to fail fast uh, or I'll have you know, many, many people telling me that I'm going to fail tomorrow and the day after that and after that and after that. But um, it's, a, it's an interesting life walk that you can find. And if you can get into it and find a passion for it, I mean, the kind of work that you're doing is going to help a lot of people. Um, so on that, like once, one, and, and the behavioral component is critical. Like you said, your, your superpower is learning from other people, but also reading people. Like when you said, okay, and, I, and this is really my first question is, it's the difference between what that CFO wants to tell me and what I want to know. Um, where, where do you think we're at? Like if you want to talk about you know, banks, you know, publicly listed banks, where they're at, you want to talk about corporates, any, anywhere on that spectrum. Because I think that the answer, what I, wanted, what I wanted to know, and I said to Steph Pomboy, I said, I don't know how bad these earnings can get. Like she said, down 14 to start. Um, I don't know, uh, but I, I'm interested to get your perspective on that, on, on where the, the divide is between uh, the two camps right now. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, The Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping, time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com research to subscribe. 
So I, I have earnings at down 13, actually. Uh, so not very far from Stephanie. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Um, so down 13 yeah. year over year for the S&P or for <clears throat> yes. Yes. this year? For the S&P. Yeah, yes. okay. Okay. Um, so my target on the S&P is 3,200. I know we're a far cry from there, but uh, I'm okay to be bearish on this show, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you're. I think you're in a safe spot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> um, no, so look, I, I think so. I tweeted something a little while back where I said, you know, it's not just investors who can be geniuses in a bull market; it's also CFOs. Um, and uh, so, will the real CFOs please stand up? Mm -hmm. So the truth is. I think even the CFOs have a very challenging time navigating this environment. I mean, if you think about it, 15 years ago, I was pretty young. I, I was four years into my career. And I'm guessing a lot of people who are finance managers, who are CFOs, are around my age now, right? So they would be, what, five, six years into their career. So there's not a lot that you would have probably or they would have remembered of times before the 2008 crisis, right? So this high interest rate environment, I don't think it's something that, you know, it's not something people actually would remember, let's say, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think navigating this, A, is going to be very difficult. It's not just that they don't want to tell us, but I think part of it also has to do with they don't know how bad it could really get. Mm. How many of these people, and I'm talking particularly about Many of the younger ones, let's say, you know, the unprofitable tech companies, and, and I'm not trying to single anyone out here, but the truth is all these guys are between 40 to 50 years old, and they probably didn't see what happened in 2000, 2001. And they wouldn't be studying it as much as you and I do, because this is our job. We study the markets, right? But these guys, they have day-to-day -day hectic schedules. So I kind of feel it's not just that they don't want to tell us, but I, I think that they're a little bit living in La La Land. They, they just don't know how bad it might get, or no, they can't remember. That is a, a you know, Steph and I were back and forth on that too. I mean, it's it, there's 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 fraud, right? And then there's willful blindness, and then there's just ignorance. I mean, like ignorance can be in a polite way, just born out of lack of experience or not having the ability to uh, to go through it on your own. Um, that's a question for you, though. Like, how much time, just to give people a sense of, you said that's our job. How much yeah. time, it, how much time, first of all, do you put into a day just in terms of pure analytics, whether it be reading, modeling, or whatever, however you want to define it? How many hours in a day? At least 12. 12. Okay. And yes. you're building off a base pack of the experience that you gave us. So again, this is like a real, um, and, and, and generally speaking, this is where people find the twilight of their career analytically between kind of that, you know, this isn't a, a I don't want to say anything about people's age. People get triggered by anything. You, you said something about young people. I, I'll say something about old people. Guess what? When I'm old, like 80, <laughs> I'm going to be like way worse than I am today because I'm already getting bad. Uh, but the, <laughs> the, the 12 hours a day and you're focusing purely on top-down macro at this point. You're not. You're not building company bottom-up models, correct? I do. I do. Oh, you do. Uh, I do build models. Yeah. Like, but but company uh, company build-up models or top-down macro models? Both. 
Both. Both. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So can you go through that, like your allocation of time on those on, the, on those two things? Because I don't, I have my, as you know, you're familiar with my analyst team. It sounds like they build all the bottom-up company models, and I work with my macro team, my seven-person macro team, modeling it top-down, and we, you know, that's how we come together. Right. So this is why I say that we're modeled a little bit like Hedgeye, because I'm trying to do a little bit of both. So okay. a little bit of you and a little bit of uh, your analyst team. And I, I love them, by the way. I learned so much from them as well. Um, so well, me and my partner, we both look at the macro. So I have a little bit of help on that side, which is really good. Um, yep. He takes some of the load. I take some of the load. We divide up, you know, what we're looking at. And we, we, we take it so on and so forth. But from the bo- for the bottom-up models... Those are actually a lot more time intensive, yeah. honestly, because you have to read through transcripts. You have to read through, you know, um, uh, hundred pages of ten uh, k's and so on. So, and there are so many companies, right? So we have economic indicators, but these are a little bit easier to track with what we have. But if you're looking at company models, you're not readily taking analyst estimates, right? So if you're building your own models, that actually takes more of your time. So I would say it's 70-30 for me. So 30% macro and 70% of, uh, you know, company models. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that, that, that should give people a healthy appreciation of, of the job if you're doing it, if you're doing both. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. You can do it like I do it with a, with a big team. You can do both. Um, I think my, my analysts would say that they, they're like 90 plus percent uh, and, and then maybe maybe 10 on the industry and they, they rely on me on the top down. Yes. But it really is, it, it, it must be, uh, I mean, to me it would be, I'd call it like, like a fractal pattern, something that's beautiful that appears. When, you're, when you have a macro view and you're doing all this work on a bottom up you know, company and all of a sudden you're like, boom, there it is. This is this is where I vary wildly versus what this company is saying. So I, I love that you put it that way, because I was listening to a couple of people who were talking about volatility like you, who were talking about macro, who were talking about various parts of the market, right, and how they're trying to invest. That you, you have to know who's out there and what they're talking about as well. So, but what's interesting is, all of these factors, whether it's the macro or whether it's, you know, market making or however you want to see it, cycle investing, factor investing, or even just bottom up. I mean, I think if you have the right mindset and you know what you are or where you're headed towards, they all come together. Uh, and the confluence is so beautiful. And, you know, it's it's just so very apparent. So. You, it's like a marriage, right? It, it's like a beautiful marriage of various parts. And, and it, it's, it's actually quite lovely. And you can get to it either from the bottom up or from the top down, as long as you're willing to keep an open mind and remember what's going on in the markets. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very well put. And, and I love how you got to this point of your career to be able to say it that way and do it that way. I mean, you're doing that job. And I, and I do find it, you know, it's amusing, in a sense, that people have all these macro opinions without having a model at all. They just have a thought. I mean, they just have a feeling in some cases. Uh, or they, mo- most importantly, they have a position. 
which is where most people's feelings and thoughts start with you know, their, their self-interest position. They want a certain outcome to become true. Um, and and that, that outcome being whether it's the Fed's outcome on some kind of a mild, or mild recession in the back half of the year or no recession at all, a soft landing. Um, a lot of people like that idea. But on the other side, they're all very quick to beg for the Fed to come help them if that's not the current outcome. So what do you think about that? Well, the market tells you everything. I mean, it's all over the place, isn't it? <laughs> it's like no one can make up their uh, minds. It, one time they're asking for a pivot. The other time they're saying, oh, but if we have a pivot, then we're in the worst. I'm, I'm not sure we should be begging for a pivot, honestly, because, I mean, you know this better than I do, that if the Fed decides to cut rates, it's only because something really, 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 really bad has happened. It's, it's not a situation that we want to be in. And I think people uh, underestimate the Fed at this point. I, the Fed can and will, you know, hike into a recession if they need to. Um, they've done it before. Uh, they have this conception or they have this idea that they have the tools to correct things. So, you know, over tightening is always something that they're willing to do. And I think, you know, the Fed chair said something to that effect as well in his last uh, conference call or the one previous to that. Um, he said something like, you know, he's he's not afraid of over tightening it. At least that's the message I got. And if that's the case, uh, we're in for some trouble. I mean, whether we actually cross the line into recession or not, we're going to go through a period of a very painfully low, low growth rate, right? And as you rightly point out, with inflation coming down, you know, the growth rate coming down, we're in quad four, your quad four. And we're staying there, I think, for a while. I I, I don't I, I know you have it for one more quarter. But I do you do you feel like it, it might continue for longer than well, that? Well it's I mean on on that it's um I mean, it's a coin toss in the quarter, the two quarters after that. I mean, if you know, we always show you know we don't get into the details because it'll you know put people to sleep uh, every morning right. on the macro show. But this one slide that we'll we talk about in in the current macro deck, which is always slide number nineteen, we show the conditional probability or the conditional yes. factoring of a quad outcome. And I just call the third quarter, the back half of the year, for that matter, a coin toss. So, because what you're really talking about is what you just called out specifically. If you look at the year-over-year rate of change on GDP growth, it's below 1% in all three quarters from the second quarter to the fourth quarter anyway. That's on slide um, 13, guys. Um, so, yeah, yeah and, and I think that that would qualify, like with your opinion, that sub-1% growth or 0% growth is, is as low as growth gets unless you've observed. And this was actually the lesson uh, and this, the, my question on this is going to be back to how you model things, is this was the lesson coming out of 2001 and into 2002, was that mm-hmm. like, you could barely see the recession, right? Aisha, you could, you, could, you could probably see it because you have better vision than I do. Right? But I, like, I got my hair is going gray. I got these glasses. I got four kids. I'm like a bear. And it's like sometimes I have a hard time. But you could barely see that recession in 2001. But you could mm-hmm. really see that profit recession, and the profit recession, you know, was was what really you know determined the ongoingness of the bear market. Uh, and by the way, this this in so many different ways. And I want to get into the mechanics of it, fully loaded with ODTE trading and all that. But 
you know, the mechanics of bear markets that bounce are very similar from the 1999 growth bubble to going to an environment where GDP growth is extremely low, if not even recessionary, but the corporate profit cycle just won't go away. And, and, and that took you all the way into 02 before, obviously, the stock market bottomed. So what, and, and you've written a, a, about margins, structural components to earnings quite a bit. Like, what do you think about that? You said down 13, but could you go to down 13, from down 13 to down 20 to down 25? Back then it was down 50. Yes, I think it was somewhere, uh, well, the average is, I think, somewhere around 30 or something, down 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, the down 13 is, I, I think, conservative. And what you're saying is absolutely right. I mean, if we have a situation where this profit recession is protracted, we're in for even more trouble. So we're, we're, we might have a shallow recession or a mild recession, as they're calling it, but it might be longer, which is exactly what we saw in 2001, as you're saying, right? And I was looking at these charts before I came on just to remind myself what happened. And that's exactly what happened there. So everybody seems to think that the market bottoms before we see a corporate profit recession, but that's not always the case. And that's exactly what didn't happen in 2000 and 2000 to 2002 and i think we're very much more like that right now so the dot-com bubble because those that bubble is very very similar to what we're seeing here you know like the equity bubble and you know we're throwing money at ai we're throwing money at the metaverse we're throwing money at you know whatever new concept you know comes up and and so that that situation still hasn't gone. I mean, even today, I, I saw an upgrade for NVIDIA based on AI. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means. Um, it just means it's it's AI. You, know, you just, you don't get it? Actually, it's like, it's just AI. Look, you know, it's like uh, Michael Saylor used to tell me at 68,000 Bitcoin. You just got to believe, man. That's what he told me. So the AI, no. you don't have to do any work. You just got to say AI. Like Dan Ives, like that with an eye, and you're good. <laughs> so look, it's either intelligence or it's artificial, but it can be both together, right? <laughs> so. uh, that's funny. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. So we've, we've got this situation and it's still going on. So I, I kind of feel that people still don't get it. And, and last night we got um, reports from J.B. Hunt. And uh, I'm sure Jay Van Skyver would have, you know, spoken about. I didn't watch the call today. I'm sorry, but I'm sure he would have spoken about this this mm-hmm. morning. And the CEO was talking about a freight recession, um, and he's talking about, you know, volumes going down. He's talking about freight rates going down. So you have volumes going down, your rates going down. So you have everything going down. So, yeah, perhaps we aren't seeing exactly you know gdp going down as such but we're seeing the ism numbers going down and that's in recessionary territory we're seeing profits going down in recessionary territory we're seeing margins going down 
um, you name it, everything is going down. And, and I don't see how uh, we're still happy about this situation. Yesterday, I put out a tweet about the Russell 2000. I mean, it's been so strong in the last couple of weeks. And I said, you know, what are they so happy about when there's a recession? The average um, downturn is about 26% uh, on the Russell 2000. So I, I don't see what people are seeing right now. And it's kind of like we're still being led by, you know, the tech growth. I think what people believe is because these guys have already cut costs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's become the year of efficiency, right? So we're looking at something called the year of efficiency. And I, I don't know why they suddenly decide to become efficient. These guys have been, you know, spending like drunken sailors for the last, what, 10, 15 years. <laughs> and then suddenly they realize, oh, but hey, we need to be efficient now, right? Yeah. You should have, being efficient was your job. It should have been your job. It should have been your job for the last five years, 10 years, whatever. Not you wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to be efficient. Okay, so what's your idea of being efficient? Cutting costs. Okay, what costs are you cutting? I'm cutting people. Which people are you cutting? So either these are people you hired and you don't need, or you're cutting people who you do need, and therefore you're going to be in trouble for the next five years, mm -hmm. right? Because you're cutting essential people. So either way, they're doing this thing wrong. A and we're in a situation where these guys now think that, okay, because they've cut costs, we're going to see fabulous earnings, right? Because mar margins are going to be beautiful, Costs are down. But the problem is it's not just about costs. It's also about the top line. And we have demand coming down. Don't we have to factor for this? Don't we have to factor for the fact that you know, small businesses are suddenly going to turn off the switch on Microsoft or on AWS or on a number of other companies? I mean, are you going to buy a new phone right now? I know I'm not going to. I probably won't replace my laptop. I probably won't replace anything that I have. I have an old car. I'm not going to replace my car. I mean, it's not the time for any of this. No, you're right. So, it, so it's not just the bottom line that matters. It's also the top line. And we need to remember that. Well, I think, I mean, the top line is what gave birth to the mother of all bubbles. I mean, it's, it's you know, at a bare minimum, it's intellectually dishonest to say, um, in any other way. I mean, by definition, when you're in quad two and the rate of change of revenue growth and profit growth is accelerating at the same time, that's, that defines multiple expansion, that defines bubbles. You know, if we didn't know that, we wouldn't have been long the bubble in 2000 and going into 2021 and stayed with it. Um, so the other side of that, it just doesn't get people paid, I guess. And, and, and I think the biggest thing, though, is that they look at their screen this is very similar to 2001, in April of 01 in particular, um, where people look at their screen and they're like, well, J.B. Uh, Hunt's not down that much today. It must, it must be priced in. You know, so, yeah. you know, what do you think about that? And let's get into that, too, if you want to you know, enjoin our friends at the zero days to expiration bubble. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, this is something that everybody keeps saying on Twitter. Everything's priced in. And I asked this really snarky, silly question on Twitter the other day, saying that, so if everything's priced in, then why does the market move? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, okay. You, you would be a trillionaire. I would be a trillionaire. We'd all know everything, right? So, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking. So, I, I, I kind of feel that people say this just to sort of, you know, 
support their own narrative. Yeah. And, it, and it's all about that, right? So it's all about the narrative, the story. So people don't like us because they call, oh, we're too bearish or we're perma bearish. But no, we're not. We're, we're looking at the data and the data is telling us something. And that's that's all we're talking about. We're, we're not really being bearish because it's fun to be bearish or it's cool to be bearish. I mean, it's not if, cool. if anything, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's definitely not cool. I, 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 and, I, and shorting is not easy. So it's a very, very tough game. It's easier to always buy and hold. Well, so, I mean, and you wrote this as well. I mean, like you said, many analysts haven't seen this part of the cycle, so that's an experience point. Um, well, many, many analysts don't trade the cycle. The portfolio manager does. Um, and many portfolio managers clearly, uh, if they did trade the last two bear markets or recessions going back 25 years, they're not really well known as doing that well. Um, so, and if they were, you know, we'd have them on Hedge ITV. We'd show their returns, um, but they're not. So, and and the per, my pers, personal opinion is the precise reason why they're not is that they would read JB Hunt today or JP Morgan on Friday. You know, JB Hunt doesn't go down enough, or look at JP Morgan, it's going up, it's not going down. That's they're, they have a recency bias. They don't see the psych. You know, they, they can't see past their nose. They trade yesterday, not tomorrow. As Stan Druckenmiller would say, you're an idiot if you don't trade tomorrow. What, what are you doing trading yesterday? I mean, if you, and that, that's only if you're a trader. But on the short-term trading dynamics, I mean, I trade, right? Like, I got a problem. I, yes. I, I, I trade. People would say, you're, oh, you, and people try to reduce me to being whatever they want me to be because I trade. Oh, oh geez. Well, you're just, you just bought and hodled a 70% decline in Bitcoin. You're, real, you're, much, you're much more, you know, from a morality perspective, a better person. Um, but for those of us that do trade, our positions or risk manage them is probably a more, more appropriate way to think about it. I've never seen anything remotely um, uh, as, as large or as frequent and short duration as these zero days to expiration options. They absolutely have impact in the market. Yesterday they did, for example, you know, on the line that the S&P 500, I think the 4, 413 line, like 577,000 calls traded. You know? <laughs> so what, what say you about this, you know, you know, the rigging of it or the, just the short-term nature of it that can change what you see about the actual gravity of the cycle itself? So it's interesting you bring this up because I was just having a conversation with my partner before this, and he's really good with options, so he, he understands this market very well. So what he was trying to say is that, you know, these guys are actually selling put premium to buy calls, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how they're funding their calls. That's That's the mechanism going on here. And my thought to this was, I think they're trying to bid up the market for exit liquidity. I think a lot of these portfolio managers, as you rightly pointed out, were caught off guard last year. They knew it was going down. They just didn't know how much. And I think the market went down far more than they expected it to. Mm -hmm. So they're sitting on a bunch of losses, bag holders, as you know, people call them, right? And, I would uh, never call somebody that. Well, I, I'm a bag holder on one or two stocks. It's okay. <laughs> I love that term, bag holder. It's just, you're just holding the bags. Yeah, that, so keep going. Depends on what kind of bag. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it could be a regular bag. It could be a very fancy Louis Vuitton. But it, so, Last night I had um, but, a, a bag of cupcakes because it was my wife's birthday. So I went to the, uh, oh. to the, uh, 
to the cupcake shop because I have four kids. They like to eat the sweet stuff. And uh, I, had, I had two big bags, large bags. I was holding the bags. Laura, right? Please mm-hmm. wish her a happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're, you're um, too good. Yes. So I, I think the issue with these are exit liquidity. And I think people need to understand this concept of exit liquidity. These ah. guys are, are, you know, building things up so that, you know, at some point they can get out. That's why um, when you see the market fall, and, and uh, you trade, I trade as well. Uh, I'm guilty of that as well. But when you see these days, the red days, you see how they go down. They go down relentlessly, right? And my theory, and I could be totally wrong here, but my theory is they get it to a level where, you know, they just want to exit and then they're selling off. And these are not just, you know, portfolio managers, but these are also company people. So, you see that there's been a lot of selling where, you know, uh, the company executives have been doing a lot of selling as well. So I think all of this is taking all of us for a ride. And when I say all of us, I mean retail. And, and we need to understand this a little bit. The market is, you know, playing us for a fool. Now that's a, that is, I like that. I mean, that, this, is, um, this is why we do the investing summit. For someone to have the you know the spine to, to and and the process to lead them to saying something like that, this is all about you, the retail investor, becoming the bag holder. We want our bags, our corporate bags, yes. to be held by you who wouldn't know otherwise. And that's yes. like and you called it exit liquidity, right? So and just let me get this you know correct one more time to repeat what you said. You're selling put premium to buy bid up calls, and then you're going to take that higher price and exit the cash liquidity, like the, the cash equity positions. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, it, and, and people every day, they bang their head now against the wall trying to say, and it's a typical, I, I see this almost as more of a rookie mistake or somebody who's never risk managed, you know, market, you know, particularly in what I call the chop bucket when the VIX is in the high teens mm-hmm. into, the, into the high 20s, which is where they have been able to keep it, which keeps you kind of like in a back and forth market, not one that's yes. collapsing like the one did in phase one of the bear market, which is from January to June of last year. Uh, there are, of course, three uh, phases to, to a bear market according to me. Uh, <laughs> I like to say that. Um, my, my friend the other day said, are you citing your, yourself? <laughs> I said, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, that people are like, why, 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 why? Why is the VIX at 17? Or why was it at 18 multiple times? And I'd always say it remains undefeated. Well, it doesn't matter if it's at 17 or 18. It's still the same point. Is that you're suppressing vol to achieve your liquidity goals. Now, wouldn't Jamie Dimon quite like something like that for the entire banking system? I'm sure. Right? I mean, yeah. He, he, on one hand, he said, he's saying you know, before uh, the crisis that there are some real issues in the economy. Then in the crisis, it's like, wow, this isn't over. Then on his conference call, now that he's got everyone's bags, all the money, mm-hmm. well, for us, it's pretty good. We're going to get all of our managing directors to have to come back to work every day now because we have a lot of money. But I'm not going to talk too much on this conference call about who's holding the bag. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for a deep dive investing analysis 
our favorite stock ideas and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Look, there's a reason that he's Jamie Dimon and he leads the biggest bank in the world. And Secretary Yellen gives them a call when they're in trouble. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nuts. I mean, uh, do, you, do you think, well, first of all, I think you will be and I will be because I'm agreeing with you. Um, uh, we'll, be, we'll be called conspiracy theorists for, for, for talking about this. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's okay. We'll conspire. <laughs> it's we'll fine. conspire to be bears together. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. fine. Uh, well, the thing about conspiracies is that you know, they happen. Um, but this question of they, have you guys, have you and your partner um, talked about they? Like we know that there are three major options dealers there are more than that, of course, but um, you know, three big players uh, in the market that are active as active as the day is long. One is on both sides, uh, you know, of the trade. You know, one could argue, and one can really see, you know, what all his portfolio managers are doing on that other side of the trade. You know, what do you what do you think about that? Look, they're making money in between, right? So. Yep. What do they care? They don't. I mean, if you are a middleman, if you're a broker, do you care? Uh-uh. I think you're I... taking fees on one side, you're taking fees on the other, you're you're happy. Yeah. I if you and I were brokers, we would we wouldn't care. That's the job, right? And you're you're, you're And you can to... blame them or fault them for it, right? They're making money legitimately. There's, there's, this is the fun part of these zero DPEs. They're totally legal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the point with these zero days to expiration. You don't even have to post margin. I mean, it's you have, we created or they created a system that, um, that they can, I mean, it's, this is as old as Ray Dalio himself. I mean, he created the tips market. <laughs> it's, it's not like he didn't go to Larry and say, hey, dude, you know, I'd like to have a more flush market here because when duration isn't working, I got to park the capital somewhere so I can beat everybody else. Um, it, it, this has been going on for a long, long time. Um, yeah. But I do, I do get a sense that anytime someone like us uh, talks about this, particularly tweets about it, they're like, oh, that's because you're bearish. You're going there because you're bearish. No, 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 no. It's happening. It happens every single day. It's happening at an accelerating rate, is it not? It is. And let me tell you something. It's not you and me being bearish. The market is actually bearish. The data is bearish. It's not. It's just we're just reading the data. So it's not, a, as you said, it's not a feeling. <laughs> we're not translating our feelings to the market or to the people. We're just reading the data and analyzing it and interpreting it as we see best. This is that. my view on the data I'm seeing. I love that, that's great. Now I have to love asking uh, some of these questions. By the way, I got uh, two into our conversation, so I didn't leave enough time, but uh, if you don't mind, I'm gonna ask some of the, the questions. Um, yeah, this is, this is a bill from Connecticut. Actually, the highest voted question is, is 
rate, uh, it's, it's about what we're talking about. Um, I've, I've seen your, um, Aisha, I've seen your comments that the new way to gain the market is through ODTE. Keith's been talking about this a lot. Um, and he said, can you elaborate? I mean, I don't know what else, is there anything else that you want to say on that topic? No, not really. I mean, uh, the only thing I, 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 I don't know. I mean, uh, I really like to see this stop because it is uh, sort of distorting the market, right? And, and I don't know when it will. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's in a different way, you know. In 1987, if we were having this conversation, uh, you had a very hot start to the year, like S&P, I think this year was up almost the same in January as it was in 1987, mm-hmm. same economic conditions, anyone could see them. Um, and then, of course, mm-hmm. the market had a, 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 an abrupt collapse that nobody could see coming. And there was portfolio insurance to blame. You know, now we have, mm. and I'm not saying it's the same, but I'm saying it's the same in the sense that you have the same economic conditions, post-cycle peak, slowing, liquidity becomes a problem. So, I mean, would you be, would you be entirely surprised if the S&P 500 was limit down any day between tomorrow and the end of June or this year, where it's limit down, limit down, limit down? where the, the S&P 500 goes down 15 to 20% like a hot knife through butter. I wouldn't be. And, you know, I know we're not supposed to talk about our feelings, but all of this happening actually does give me a very ominous feeling, mm-hmm. you know? And and it, it it's exactly, and now that you mention it, uh, 1987, it does feel a little bit like that or... Let's say it's a repeat of that, right? So I, I, w- I won't be surprised. I mean, it's it's always been like this. When when we go overboard with something, we tend to see negative consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um. I, I don't know if you have uh, read this book by Roy Sabag, but um, I was citing it this morning in the early look. And he's a Canadian guy. He's 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 very similar to you in the sense that he's a practitioner, but a, but an ongoing student of this relationship mm-hmm. between economies and, and markets. But his basic relationship that he always comes back to in trying to ex- explain the natural order of this is fractal in nature. You know, you have energy, you have the two components of thermodynamics. You have energy and you have mm-hmm. entropy. So how could you have all this energy, fully loaded from everything from YOLO call option buying to 12% GDP to as much money as you could print and not get the entropy? Yes, and that's that's beautifully said, by the way. Entropy is is such an amazing concept, right? In physics, um, you can see I have a lot of books behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but and and one factor of entropy is that once we you know go through, it's like breaking an egg. So once you break an egg, you can't put it back together again, right? So right. there's no going back. So and and you, it's nice that you bring up the word entropy here, and I think you know we have distorted the market uh, to the point where there's no going back from this. So I think that that's a very nice way of putting it. Well, if there's no going back, I mean, there really is. I guess just to bring this full circle, um, there really is nothing left other than what you started with, which is the difference between what you want to tell me. And what I want to know, like, you know, <laughs> when does the egg break? You know, the amount of qu- times I get asked this question, I mean, I'd be, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not idiotic enough to tell you what date. But I think we're saying 
that <laughs> we know what the answer is. We just don't know the day that it's going right. or the week. You know, is, 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 am, I, am I summarizing that you know, correctly in terms of how you think about it? You're right. So the eggs will break. We just don't know when. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's it. You know, that, that's, that's all we needed to know. So, you know, from, from mama bear to cracking the eggs, I, uh, I, I, I appreciate having my first opportunity to have, to have a real conversation with you. It's, uh, it's, it's humbling to have you compliment us. And again, I, we didn't ask you to come on to do that. You just, uh, you just incidentally did it. And I, and I take that with great pride, like our team does too. So on behalf of my team, thank you. And, um, I'll look forward to meeting you in person and, and talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. It was such a thrill to be on. Um, I hope you can visit Dubai sometime. That would be nice. I've, I've never been, but it sounds like I just got invited. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you. Uh, I've, never, I've never been to the Middle East. Uh, I've cracked some eggs. There are a lot of, a lot of components to this. Up next... This guy understands the relationship between the energy and the entropy. Ben Hunt. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.